continue in worship and we continue in our study of uh, Galatians. I hope you will open up your Bibles or open up a Bible app. Uh, what happened? So, and, and those of you online, you're going to see uh, what we have, except I have the wrong message title up there. I forgot to change that. All right, it was online. Uh, those of you not online, uh, you know, we're going to get things moving, maybe, uh, with this as we continue in worship, as we continue to uh, seek what is uh, what the Lord has for us, as we continue to try to understand uh, what, what Christ would ask of us as we live out this life. And, and the reality is, Life is full of challenges, is it not? You know, uh, we had challenges uh, this week. Uh, some of that was, uh, you know, just weather-related, just normal, natural occurrences of, of life, of uh, what's, uh, what was on us. You know, um, we were lucky. We just got like eight, ten inches of snow. You know, talking with my mom and sister, they had like a quarter inch to a half an inch of ice. You know, with that, and and that becomes interesting dealing with ice. We just had snow, you know, and with the proper tools, a snow can be removed uh, with that. It, now it wasn't always fun, you know, pushing a snowblower through a drift pile with a snowblower, snowblower, but it was possible, you know. And fortunately, we live in a town where we have friends who have heavy equipment like Kyle, and so he just took his bobcat and basically took care of the snow on the one. Would have been easy to run. You wouldn't have been 
example in the playoffs, was it? Or the, the game before the playoffs, right? Yeah, all right, but it wasn't. It's not. You have to persevere. Persevering indicates that life is hard and full of challenges. And so we need to be reminded of these verses from Romans 5. Not only so, we glory in our sufferings. I know our dear friend Judy uh, didn't like uh, James because of this, but I'm sure she didn't like Paul because of Romans 5 either at times. We glory or rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Oh, Paul, would you just, just, could you write that out? But perseverance produces character. And character, hope. That's where we want to go. We wish the verse was like this. And we glory in our sufferings because we have hope, which produces character, and character produces perseverance, and perseverance makes suffering manageable. That would be the American way. That's not always the biblical way. But we have to go through the sufferings for perseverance which will, will give us hope. Just we need to see that hope is the byproduct, not the ingredient of overcoming challenges. It's just like the cupcakes and the ice cream that you will have down there. Okay? You have oil. How many of you woke up this morning? Leland, did you wake up and take about a fourth of a cup of oil just for the fun of it? No? But do you like cupcakes? You? Okay. Alright. How many of you woke up and just, uh, Cooper, did you have just one raw egg this morning? I to say yes. I know. I, I, that's why I kind of went in, just to see if you done it. No? Have you ever had, ever had a raw egg? Have you ever desired to have a raw egg? Do you like me? Okay. So you must like raw eggs. Because that's a cake. No? All right? See, that's the thing. We don't like those things, but when you put them all together, you put it under the refiner's fire of an oven, or the refining fire of suffering and perseverance, you get something delicious at the end. And hope will not put you to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into your heart. If you are in Christ, hope is never going to leave you hanging. And our hearts have been given the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we need to understand that life is full of challenges. But the challenges aren't the end in and of themselves. And so we open up the book of Galatians, which is full of challenges. Paul in chapter 1, in the beginning of chapter 2, is talking about the challenges of the church. He's talking about how the early church was trying to figure out what it meant to live in Christ, to persevere in Christ. Is that not what you and I have to do today? It's more what it means to persevere in Christ. And let's just be honest, it would be so much easier if you could just do it alone, right? If you didn't need anyone else, you would have challenges, but what if the challenges wouldn't be someone else? It would be just yourself. However, we need to see that according to the gospel, community is essential. I already said it earlier, but we wouldn't have any of these books of the New Testament if community wasn't essential. You're not just saved from sin so you can go out and try to be a better version of yourself. You were saved into a family, into a community. 
That was the natural way of thinking for the Jewish way of people. They understood that God's covenant, God's working, wasn't just them being an individual Jew at the extent of no one else. It was because you were saved into a community, a family of God. It wasn't just you are a person of God, so go out and do your own thing. And that's the rub. They're trying to figure out what does it mean to be the people of God in Galatians. And how in our Western mindset, and in our American culture, we forget this at times. We forget it and we try to claim independence of one another. But I'm here to say independence is contrary to the gospel. You can't be independent and be in Christ. Otherwise, Paul is a liar. Because Paul said, we are all members of the body of Christ. So John, you might be a toe. And Pastor Ken, you're the odds. Does that mean, John, you're not needed? I mean, if you're a big toe, you're really important, though you're just, you're always covered up almost, right? Anybody who's ever hurt their big toe, or someone who's had to have their toe empty, yeah, our bodies can change, but only because another portion of the body kind of takes over. You know, Larry, you might be the ears, and Noah, you're the armpits. <laughs> He's a middle school boy. All right, we have a middle school, right? You are close enough to a middle schooler. You're 11. So? That's middle school age. <laughs> I could look at you like that too. You know, we could say, which one's more important? With both. They have necessary tasks. And if Christ just saved us so you could do both of your own thing, we would have a bunch of eyes laying around because they can't walk. We would have a bunch of armpits that just stink and do nothing. Because nothing can wash them. You, you are saved into community, into a body of Christ. And if you look at that, you go, well, what about Paul? He says his, his gospel wasn't because of someone else. It's claiming his independence. But Paul wasn't saying, I'm independent on my own. He's saying my gospel came from Christ and Christ alone. And so here we have this brother. We open up to... Uh, Galatians 2, 11, we read uh, this. You know, but, we, but when Peter came to Antioch, I, I opposed him to his face that he was in the wrong. For prior to certain men from James coming his way, he would eat with Gentiles. But once they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself out of fear of the circumcised group. He also led the other Jews to join in in his play acting. Even so, that Barnabas himself joined them. But when I saw that what they were doing was not straightforward to the truth of the gospel, they feared all. I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you Jews live like Gentiles and not Jews, how can you force Gentiles to be Jews? We have this conflict. We have this thing. And, and we can look at this and, and we think it may be easy to figure out, but let me just be honest, these are some hard verses of Galatians. Because there's a lot we do not know. Let's be honest, we only have Peter's or Paul's side of the story. We don't know what else is going on. 
We have to kind of guesstimate. We don't know how Barnabas felt. We don't know how Peter felt. I do believe, though, there was reconciliation that happened because Peter would later talk when he wrote one of his letters. He said, and you heard about Paul, God doing great work through Paul. That's found in, in 1 Peter. And those of you who will do the, uh, the devotions this week, or 2 Peter, 2 Peter 3.15, where Peter talks highly of Paul. Obviously, this didn't disrupt the relationship with it. So we can't be too harsh on Peter nor too harsh with Paul. But what I can assure you of is Paul isn't trying to make Peter him. Paul wasn't just saying, hey, I'm the man in charge now. Peter, you've had your heyday. Now it's my turn. There is no egos in this. There is only one issue. And let me just right now talk about what that issue is. The issue is the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel truth? It's not about Peter. It's not about Paul. It's about the gospel of Jesus. Because if it was about one or the other, we would still have conflict coming back again and again and again and again. But they both have submitted themselves to something greater, the gospel of Jesus. They both have been preaching the same gospel. So this isn't just a new way. They both were pointed in the right direction. Yet Peter seems to have veered off. And I think we need to understand this as we get into it. Anyone can get off the gospel path. It's not just that once somebody was good, they're always good. Peter, I believe, and I think Paul would say this too, as I study more, I hope you get, as you read this, we can read it with a, a lens of judgment, or we can read it with a lens of mercy and grace, where we, we see Paul going, Peter has just unintentionally got off the path. The path went one way, Peter just kind of slowly drifted away from the central path of Christ and the gospel. I don't think Peter was intentional. In fact, Peter is, is portrayed as someone who knows the truth of the gospel and is just failing to live that out consistently. Man, I can resonate with that, can't you? I have a, a, a belief of, of Jesus, and I'm trying to consistently, but I don't always get it right. And so Paul is just saying he just didn't get it right, and Paul isn't above reproach. Paul isn't saying it's my way or no way. I mean, he submitted before and he's saying, hey, what is, can we agree on the essential of the gospel? But if he was wrong, he would have gone his other way. Anyone can get off the gospel path. So let's look at the characters of the conflict this morning. And this is going to be different, maybe, than most. It's going to be a little bit more background than some of you may like. But I think if we miss the characters, we miss the point of all of this. And we can easily pass on. And we may think we know the characters. But I want us to, to realize that we need maybe a reminder of what is going on this morning. And so let me start with the easy ones. One, Peter. He was, according to modern standards, we would call him the good conservative individual of the faith. 
He's just trying to be faithful. Okay? He has no ill motives, no ill will. He just got out of prison. We got to take that into consideration too. Okay? He just miraculously got out of prison. In fact, I believe he's in Antioch to kind of flee the circumcision group who put him in prison. Okay? So he's just gotten beaten up by many people in life. Anybody know that if you've ever had trauma, if someone's ever kind of messed with your head a little bit, you're kind of, it takes a while to kind of go, whoa, what's going on here? You react instead of respond. You know, that's kind of what happens. You know, and, and, and the next time you're in a similar position, you kind of flinch. I mean, Cooper, do you ever make Hayden flinch just for the fun of it? Not too much anymore, but you used to love it, right? He only flinched just one time you actually hit him. You know, that's the reality. This, if, if Cooper never never actually hit Hayden, so it doesn't matter if that hand goes up, you're kidding, like, it doesn't matter, you never touched me yet. But that one time makes it worth it. You know, from Cooper's standpoint, hit him. Oh. After a while, Hayden was like, he's not going to mess with me today. Bob's around. Okay. <laughs> you know, especially when they were younger, right, girl? You know. <laughs> well, when they were younger, you at least had the upper hand. Now, you got to be smart enough, but, you know, not always fight harder. You know, that's the reality. Peter, he was faithful. He was a Jew. Okay? We can't miss that. All right? He's just trying to exercise some freedom in Christ. He has seen Cornelius come to faith in Acts 10. He has, he has heard the revelation of God. That nothing that I've made is unclean. But he's also in the wrong. Here. See, sometimes we, we see this and go, well, I'm never Peter because I'm not in the wrong in the situation. But how many of these others might actually be you with that? Then we have Paul. In his day and the faith, he is the liberal of the faith. You may not like hearing that. I put those in quotations because if not, you can't necessarily say it. But he is also trying to be faithful. He's seeking unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Actually, Peter would do the same thing. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee of Pharisees. He was zealous for the Pharisaical way of life. So he is very sensitive to the issues of the Jewish law and the bondage of the He's proclaiming freedom in the spirit. The freedom that Peter has lived out. He is in the right, we would say. A lot of us would like to proclaim, I am Paul. And do all of those apply to you? See, we want to, when we look at scripture sometimes, and especially this passage, we can take a look and just go, well, it was Peter versus Paul. Obviously, I'm going to be Paul because I am in the right. Notice Paul never said he was in the right. He just said Peter was wrong because he veered off the truth of the gospel. What was right is the truth of the gospel. He was pointing Peter to something greater than himself, not Paul himself. Then, we have the men from James. These are the people who are feeling persecuted. They're under oppression. Life isn't fine. 
They're trying to persevere in their faith. They don't want to lose their Jewishness. These are Jews. They're also Christians. I think they misrepresented a little bit of what James said. Okay? Happens all the time. James and Peter are close friends. They probably wouldn't have done that. And Peter probably had the upper hand, if we were to be honest. They're sympathetic to the law of Moses. Why? Because that was their identity in life. They're cautious about diversity. How much differentness is okay before we lose our identity? No wonder they're starting to get, they're, they're really sensitive. I, uh, some wonder, and I have to pretend to agree that sometimes what's going on is these men from James go to Antioch and say, Peter, where are you sitting down with Gentiles? You're breaking the social norms for Jews. It's causing your brothers and sisters in the faith to be beaten, to be flogged, and imprisoned. No wonder Peter's going, well, maybe I need to step back a little bit here. I don't want to be the cause that one of my fellow believers is killed. Do you see what's at stake in Peter? And then you have the circumcision group. I think a separate group from men from James. They're not Christians. These people are not following Christ, but they are the fundamentalists from the Jewish portion of life. They are Jewish nationalists. They would maybe appreciate Jesus, but they really have no desire that Jesus is the gospel truth. Anybody who's going to follow this Jew named Jesus better become like us. And if you are not us, you are against us. There is no great shades of gray. They want saints. Everyone must be a Jew. Through and through and through and through. The men from James can sympathize with them a little bit. They understand this. The whole identity of what means becoming a Jew is at stake. They're forcing, like literally forcing people to become Jews. They're the power group of the day. They're the day. They have piety to the law. Faithfulness to the law is essential. Now I just want to maybe say some things here real quick. A little bit of a rabbit trail, but I will try to be very, very brief. We as conservative Christians can easily head down this path. If we're not here. Very much so. I've seen it in our culture. I've seen it in our culture where we have a word that I never thought I would ever hear spoken of Christian nationalism. Friends, we've got to be careful. There will be some who will claim to be Christian or claim to be a part of the faith, but what they're doing is trying to force sameness on everyone else. That is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must be careful that we don't end up in this group. Not that we will lose our faith. We, I don't believe true followers of Jesus ever lose their faith. But we can be coming down this path 
where we end up very similar to the position of Peter, where some on our rights force us to do something we may not believe to be true. In the midst of saving face, of continuing problem. Let us be back to our text. The Gentiles, of which the book and the letter is written to. <laughs> These are just people who just now became Christian. They're trying to figure out what it means to grow in grace. They're just trying to figure all this out. They're not Jewish. They have nothing against the Jews, but nor are they inclined to be. Except someone said, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew. Oh, okay. I guess. Don't know any difference. They're kind of uh, new to the church. And, and they're like, okay, well, I'm still going to go do this. And people are like, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 stop, stop. Get back here a little bit. Do you know what the Old Testament says? The Old Testament says you can't eat shellfish. So no shrimp for you tonight. What? I like shrimp. I've always liked shrimp. I don't, but some people do. You know, I didn't grow up with seafood. That's the issue. You know, uh, or or here's one that will resonate with people. You know, they're they're having baby back ribs. All right, they're they're having bacon with their eggs, and there are some saying, "Oh." Are you bacon lover? That is not what it means to be in Christ. You need to get that up right now. Because Moses said, don't do that. You know. And then there were others saying, Jordan, I saw who you were eating with the other night. Yeah, that person. They are good for you. You know that, right? You know, and in fact, you need to just stay completely away from them. Because if you want to be faithful to Jesus, you've got to be completely separate from anybody who may even cause you to think of anything bad. You got that? And see, Jordan, if we were being true here, Jordan, being this young, impressionable Christian, would see me as a person of authority, wanting to do everything I said, right? Just shake your head like this. All right? Shake your head like this. If you don't want to go to hell, you will shake your head like this. <laughs> That's exactly what they're doing to some extent here. They're looking at Peter and they're saying, Peter, you have lost your distinctiveness of what makes you a Jew. You not only eat shrimp, maybe bacon, but you sit down at tables with people who do, even if you don't. Hey, that's not allowed. You can't associate with the Gentiles unless they become like you. So what is that state? As I said, the heart of the issue is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is, is the gospel strictly for Jews? Or is it for all? There are some that say, no, it is for Jews. Said, well, how do you know that? Because they're forcing people to become Jew. It wasn't enough that you are saved in Christ. You have to be saved in Christ and then become a Jew in Christ. And Paul says, I oppose you publicly because it was a public issue. I oppose him because the truth of the gospel is 
In Christ, there is freedom. You want to be a good Jew? Be a good Jew. You want to be a good Gentile? Be a good Gentile. Notice, Paul doesn't say, Peter, you've got to eat this bacon. Here's an extra serving of it. He just said, whoa, you can't, you can't divide the gospel of Christ into a Jew and Gentile. It's all one in Christ. The question, does Christ alone justify believers? That's what we're going to learn next week. That was the bias of the Reformation, of Calvin, of Luther, of Swingillian, and others. Where does justification come from? From the law of Moses that made you right before God's eyes? Or the law of Christ who makes you right before God's eyes? And before I wrap up, I just want to ask this question. Who are you naturally most like? of the character Who are you naturally most like? You know, because when we start to see that, I think we start to see where the Spirit will work within us. I am not like God. For the Lord God. In some regard. I mean, He has a great skill that I don't have. You know, and I, and I would hope I have some skills you don't have, you know, uh, with that. But see, being free in Christ, if I believe what Paul is saying, as Peter did, okay, then I don't have to force John to be on the same path in Christ as I am. He doesn't need to be me in order to be a good Christian. And I don't need to be him to be a good Christian. There are some things that are fair minimum. And scripture makes it absolutely clear. And the other church made it absolutely clear. Sexual morality, knowingly eating food that was given to idols. Um, let's see. What else? Acts 15. Consider your motions this week. Of course, just kind of repeating. Alright? So, um, Who polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Notice what's not there? A whole lot of Jewishness is not there. Why? Because they started to see the truth of the gospel. But who are you more naturally like? You know, some of you are very much like the men of James. You, your identity of who you are, you don't want to lose that. Paul's not saying they had to. Paul wasn't saying, Peter, become a Gentile. He's just saying, Peter, don't make Gentiles become a Jew. Jesus is enough. And that's what we must remind ourselves. In Christ, there is freedom. And this is why we come to this table. You know, of all the doctrines, that have split the church for many and many of years. There are two that still reverberate to this day. Baptism, when, how, you do it three times, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you are a father, you do it three times, 
and then just took a measure you do it three more times to make sure it takes, you know, right, Daniel? Were you paying attention? All right, you know, that, do you pour? Do you sprinkle? Do you do it as a baby? After belief, after they have a, a faith that they confess? Oh, we are pretty clear, we believe in believers, baptism, you know, that you are baptized after you believe. But if someone's been a Christian for a long time, they say, I was baptized. I don't feel the Holy Spirit saying, I have to do it this way. Are they still a Christian? What happens to someone who professes faith in Jesus and they don't get baptized? Are they a Christian? We're going to pick on Gallup. Were you a Christian for many years until you weren't baptized until about three years ago or four years ago? Depends on who you ask. I would say, absolutely. Baptism saved you? I have some good friends. Absolutely. You know, I mean, would someone be a good Baptist if they poured baptism on somebody who literally could not get in a pool of baptism? I know people who say, no. I've sat in meetings for the argument because the person said, if someone is lying in a hospital bed and they want to be baptized, and we can't immerse them, I will pour it over their head if that's their wish. And I have seen good Baptists, loving, faithful people of Jesus said, no, that's, you have gone too far. Hmm. We must be careful. Because baptism is an adoption issue. And then we come to this time of communion. That has divided the church 